What is up, everybody? Welcome to The Stack. I'm Alex. I'm Justin. I'm Pete. And on The Stack, we talk about a bunch of books that have come out this week. And also, as we have been doing for the past couple of weeks, we are going to review a book that it was a request from one of you all awesome listeners out there. This was dropped in the iTunes review comments by Drew Johnson requested Oblivion Song from Image Comics. We'll be talking about that at the end of the show. If you would like to request a book, next week on the show, just to mention, we are going to be talking about Bendis and Believe's Daredevil, which was a request from a listener as well. If you want to request something, iTunes reviews, drop a review, Put a comment in there. We would love to check out anything. Old graphic novel, trade collection, absolutely anything. Even if we yeah. just reviewed it, we'll revisit it. We'll revisit you know, if, it you're, if you want Justin to like pick up a weird new nickname, you know what I mean? Put that in there. You know what I mean? <laughs> 100%. Yeah, we take. We are taking requests. We are like a great <laughs> cover band just ready yeah. to do whatever uh, it takes. Do whatever you want. Right. Whatever you want, just let us know, okay? It's all good. But We love first, you. We love right, you. Right, Tugger not. But first, we are Tumbo. going to get to some new books and kick it off with one I'm sure my friend Pete is very excited for because he is a huge fan of The Punisher. We're, of course, talking about Punisher number one from Marvel. We're starting with this one? Jason Aaron, art by Asu Saez and Paul Azaceda. This is a very highly anticipated book. This is what Jason Aaron... Uh, not even paraphrasing, I'm kind of making this up, but he's sort of looking at this like his magnum opus, the thing that he's always wanted to say about the Punisher, the big story that he's always wanted to tell, and he's going big here. I'm going to get into spoilers of the book, and I'm very curious to hear what Pete thought about it, but if you don't want to know spoilers, turn away. But this book picks up with Punisher being the head killer of the The beast! The beast, the head killer working for the beast, for the hand. He is killing killers. He has the hand attacking killers as well. He is merciless as usual. And it turns out the big reveal at the end of the issue, the thing that the hand has over him, the thing that they have used to convince him to come over to their side is they have resurrected his wife, Maria. That's the big sticker of the book. I got to tell you, and I say this, I've always said, like, I'm not the biggest Punisher fan, but I do like a lot of the Punisher runs. This was fantastic. And I giggled out loud at the end because I was like, that's perfect. That is a perfect, perfect twist. Loved it. Well, let me say, and I'll just talk a little bit before we get to Pete's uh, opus of his own. Mm-hmm. Um I feel like the the tendency with the Punisher is to always be like, I'm going to take this character further down the tunnel. I'm going to show how awful it is for him. So so this turn, I think, is so smart. Um, I love the way that um, we have a couple pages in here that show a bunch of other art from other Punisher runs, which I think is like, look at all this stuff the Punisher's done. It's all sort of similar. And it feels like it's... It's very much table setting to be like, this is going to be different. Can, um, can I Punisher, say one quick thing about please. that? Because there's basically two pages where we never get to see their faces, but we see the picnic, the aftermath of the picnic, where Frank Castle and Maria are there. Maria is dying. And then we get these the two kids. pages with a splash of all these looks of the Punisher throughout history. This to me is Jason Aaron doing his all-star Superman opening, but for Punisher was what I took away mm, from that. Good call. Yes, that's oh, interesting. great. Interesting. Yeah. Um, and we see Punisher take a bunch of ninja stars to the neck. I was yeah. worried about him. You yeah. can't take that many of those before you're like, I, I'm dead. I'm losing blood, yeah. 
Yeah. Um, okay. Wait, are you? But I, again, I, and I, I, the only thing I want to say is Paul Azuceta's art, I think, is really great for this. It takes Punisher a little bit out of the super gritty stuff from the past and puts him in like a world where he can be a part of the hand and have this stuff happening. Okay. So this, to me, like, I'm a huge Punisher. Do you want head. to describe that visual thing you held up for our audio podcast? No, because I don't, I don't. all anybody heard was a tiny crinkle. You could have been over there. It's some sort of Oreo that I picked up. <laughs> No, all I, I all I'm saying is it's a picture of the Punisher. Um, I I'm a huge Punisher fan. I got you know a lot and that's of Punisher. Just to describe gear. it for the people on the podcast, it's him as a furry and he's fucking you, right? No, holy <laughs> <laughs> shit, wow. Alex. Okay. All right, I'm it, just uh, describing what I saw. Oh yeah. my god! In it, the I, absence of Pete saying literally anything about this picture, I'll say whatever I want. So it's Kenny Cords who drew uh, a Punisher for us, uh, comic book club, and um, before he left, a nice uh, parting gift that we got from Kenny Cords, huge Punisher fan as well. Also, dude was a Marine, so dude was a badass and knew. So here, here's the thing: like this is Punisher in the new role. I. Like, save this comic for last. I was, like, nervous. I was excited. I didn't know what this was going to be about because everybody's like, there's a new logo. This is a brand new Punisher. This is a different Punisher. So I was like, holy shit. What is this going to be? And, you know, when we give shout-outs to, like, you know, our favorite comics in the stack, I'm a little bit in shell shock here from this issue because... A lot yeah. happened and a lot changed, and it's crazy. So, first off, the art's unbelievable. This is such a, a creative uh, uh, idea. And it's this thing of, like, the reveal at the end hit me, and I was just like, holy crap. Because the reason Frank turned into the Punisher is because he lost his family and his wife, and he loved them so much that he said, never again. Nobody will have to have my pain. I will kill all the bad people in the world so that if you have somebody that you love, you won't lose them uh, to, you know, park crime or uh, park, just, park you know, crime. you won't lose them to murderers and <laughs> yeah. psychopaths. Well, plus, let's not forget, he was really looking forward to that potato salad. Uh, whatever. So anyways, <laughs> um, this idea... That, like, now he has both just kind of blew my mind because it's like he wouldn't be this Punisher if she was alive. So the fact that he's kind of doing both is very interesting. But also, like... You sound happy. Let me just... I just want to take a second here and be like, uh, you sound happy right now, Pete. Well, I'm I'm nervously excited about the Punisher uh, in a different context than I'm used to. I'm nervously excited about you. Well... I don't know how I feel about it yet because it's. I'm just interested to see like who this Punisher is and what what's going to happen because um, there was this unbelievable idea. Like if you had the hand working for you, you could just go round up all the fucking child molesters and fucking bring them to me. Like what a fucking power you could have. Like get everybody who's fucking, you know, like trafficking women or doing horrible things, bring them here. You know what I mean? So like, there's this interesting idea. If this guy is going to try to wipe out, um, you know, uh, a crime in this way. And it's an interesting 
idea and the fact that like he has the hand doing that for him. It's, I, I don't know. It's just kind of like crazy, awesome, weird. I, I, I don't know how I feel about it yet. It's kind of, um, it's insane, but very intriguing. He hasn't said anything yet. So I'm just kind of, I'm excited to kind of get like where he is, like, you know, with this whole thing, because it is a lot. Hopefully he writes all of his thoughts down in some sort of (laughs) war journal. I, I think it's an interesting point that you bring up Pete. And I think it's something that I'm very excited to see Jason Aaron explore over subsequent issues, because there's so many different directions they can go here, right? One is he realizes, oh, wait, I shouldn't be working for the hand. They don't have my best interests at heart. So they could right. go that direction. But there also could be the more challenging thing of, like you're saying, my wife is back alive. People are just bringing me killers. Do I still need to be doing this? Like, I was on the singular crusade for my family if all the chase is taken out, if all the reason is taken out, why am I still the Punisher? So, like you said, there's a lot of different directions it can go. There's a lot of things it can explore. And this is a killer first issue. Yeah. And I yeah. do think he's good. he could potentially be a little bit more in conflict with uh, some people like Daredevil, uh, I think, here. And anyone who's that like, really that's not how I ran the hand. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Let's kick it over to another big number one, though. Trial of the Amazons, number one from DC Comics, written by Stephanie Williams, Vida Ayala, Joel Jones, Michael W. Conrad, and Becky Cloonan. Art by Laura Braga, Skylar Patridge, Joel Jones, and Ella Casagrande. This is, uh, I believe, the first big, epic, like, line-wide Wonder Woman event ever, unless I have that wrong, or at least the first really? one in a very long time. Yeah, I would say one in a while. I'm sure that but, they've done that. So well, she was sort of the focus of the most recent, you know, she, this is a spoiler for, um, uh, whatchamacallit, but she, she was sort of the dark Knight's death metal journey, like, yeah, death metal. Um, and she sort of was the end point of that. And then, but I believe this is the first, like, nice there's run. finally enough Wonder Woman titles that they could have a cross line Wonder Woman event, right, the same right. way that they have a Batman event every two to three months or so. Where God, hey, come on, well, let's not just oh, come on. I'm sorry, come on. Batman is going to be like, where, where? I'm crying. Somebody made fun of me on a podcast. He's very sensitive. He, he, he is. Does I cry. saw the movie. I know what happens. This is kicking the a bunch of different tribes of Amazons against each other. There's a big cliffhanger at the end that changes the game. Um, what did you guys think about this one as a kickoff to a Wonder Woman event? Well, first off, amazing art. I think this is like a fun setup. I really appreciated kind of like how we kind of got here with the storytelling and everything that's going on. And, uh, you know, it's I'm a little nervous about the trial and I, and I hope it goes our way, you know, our, our way. Yeah. I'm team wonder woman. Oh, okay. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. You're on wonder woman's side. Yeah. I, uh, I didn't love this to be honest with you. I think there were some really good parts, but the approach here to take all of these different theme, uh, these different teams and you're let them sick ca- of courtroom dramas. Is that what it is? No, Uh, to take all of these different teams and kind of let them do their own sections. It led to a lack of focus for me. And I think that was a a very specific choice they made, mind you. And all of these teams are good individually. I've been enjoying a lot of the Wonder Woman books, but 
particularly what I want out of a number one like this is I want an organizing principle. I want to be able to follow, mm. is it Wonder Woman? Is it Nubia? Is it Hippolyta? Like, who, which character am I following that's going to give me this entry point in the world, even for somebody like me who's been reading most of the Wonder Woman stuff? And that's what I was kind of missing here. I think that comes in at the end, like the uh, the event that happens at the end is the thing that's going to bring it together. So that's good. But it led to a little, it felt like a little too much for her first issue to me. Wow. Personally. Wow. Well, and I do think, because of the Wonder Woman books, I, I have also been enjoying them um, separately, but they're also in, in very different places and sort of doing different things. Uh, to your point earlier about one, the first uh, Wonder Woman crossover, like Wonder Woman has usually only been doing like one or two things, like what's happening in her main book and what's happening in Justice League or wherever else she's popping up. And now there's a world here. So it feels like we're just getting used to that. And then now it's like they're all smashed together again when we want that sort of we want the stories to go in separate directions and mm-hmm. now they're being slammed together. That said, I think there's a possibility here for something interesting. Pete, you I think, looked like you were about to say something. Well, yeah, I just, you know, I, I'm kind of in shell shock about the douchey thing that you said. Like, I need a clarifying uh, story piece here. I'm really so, sorry. to Pete, I just want to publicly apologize for reviewing a comic book on our review comic I book I just think you I think you've, you've gone to the tipping point of you've read too many comics and now you're kind of douchey right. about it. Thanks. You think I think, uh, yeah, but I do. Think, well, what is this slander happening on this show? Right? But I do. Um, I understand what you're saying, but I think that it's just kind of like the, there is. I like the moving pieces and the kind of like I. I do hope moving forward we can get some more. But I'm not mad at it for the first issue. Like this is just kind of. Like, I'm furious. You can tell that through how yeah. I'm speaking. Why don't we move on and talk about Little Monsters number one from Image Comics, written by Jeff Lemire, art by Dustin Wynn, of course, based on the classic Fred Savage movie. Now in oh, this, oh come on, man! That I I watched the shit out of that as a kid. Come on, dude! I'll that tell was, you what. I don't know that I've ever seen stuff. it, but I read the novelization a bunch of times. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> worst, the worst. You weren't allowed dude. to watch movies. You for were. They were like those moving pictures of the devil's work, my parents would always say. So in this book, speaking of devil's work, a bunch of young vampires are left in the post-apocalypse all on their own or wandering around playing games. Ultimately, the world is about to change here. But this is from the team from Ascender and Descender. They do fantastic work. Do you think this is at the same level or perhaps beyond? Oh, wow. Oh uh, well, if we remember from um, Descender and Ascender, those books took a, a while to, to sort of get their full burn. Um, and this, I think, is in a similar position. Like, I love sort of the we easing into this world. Um, at first, it sort of reminded me a little bit of um, what's the furthest place from here? Mm-hmm. The um, mm-hmm. Rosenberg, Tyler Boss book. Um, Bergy. Bergy. And this, uh, but this takes obviously a different direction when we get to um, the end. And I love the sort of slow played us in it. We get the scene where the kid just is casually sort of eating a rat. And I was like, okay, post apocalypse. Yeah. Probably B- not cooking. A bunch of as kids much. casually eating rats like they're fucking, yeah. uh, you Popsicles. know, just fucking, yeah. Just, I was going to say ice yeah. cream cones, but yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah. I mean, also- we've all licked, licked a rat down, held it by the bed, <laughs> like your favorite ice cream cone. I got gotcha. you. Uh, that's pre apocalypse. We, we all live in New York City. We live we in New York City, exactly. Yeah, come on. Um, 
first off, I just want to say, like, Fred Savage and Howie Mandel together. I mean, one of them playing a monster. I mean, just... Did you hear they might want to do a sequel? Wild Pete. Ah, uh, it's a long overdue. I th- I thought that Howie comedy... Mandel, what no, a no, no, no. I think it's right on time. I think it's right on time. Uh, the comedy stylings of both of them just really just great. No, I think, of course, this book is great. It's an all-star cast. Um, yeah, we don't really kind of know what's going on here. A bunch of really annoying kids, though, without parents. Those are the worst kind of kids when there's parents not around to fucking r- r- rein them in a little bit. But, man... Um, Pete, I, I just want to jump in here. We mm-hmm. on this show we review comics, and it feels like you're reviewing life right now. <laughs> you're like sort of the focus is turned out, and you're like, I hate uh, parent, I hate kids. Yeah, basically. Yeah. yeah. Well, anyway, great book. Let's move on to another number one, Captain Carter number one from Marvel, written by Jamie McKelly, art by Marika Cresta. This is taking place in an alternate universe that you might have spied on a little show called What If, though this takes its own path here, where Peggy Carter was given the super soldier serum. She was frozen, unfrozen in the modern day instead of Steve Rogers. And here she's waking up and she doesn't want to be here anymore. She just wants to hang out. But what did you guys think about this one? I I love an old person complaining about technology. It speaks to me. You know, I appreciate what's going on. No, I mean, you had me at Peggy Carter. She's a great character. Love her always. So this is just fun. This is just fun stuff. Um, I like this a lot, too. It really gave her a persona and a sort of a point of view that the What If series didn't. She was just sort of like, the hero um, doing like doing what she was doing. And in this, she's like, I don't know what to do this world. I don't quite understand. Um, Here are the very specific things I'm bothered by that loud music, these cell phones. Well, I mean, come on, who hasn't want to punch through a table in a fucking boring ass meeting? The bunch of people just sitting around, you know, talking. Fair enough. I like Betsy Braddock as her partner. I think yeah. that's a lot of fun. Uh, I'm curious to see where this goes. Uh, great art. Should be great art as well. I agree. Naomi, season two, number one from DC Comics, written by Brian Michael Bendis and David F. Walker, art by Jamal Campbell. Now, this is obviously coming back because of the TV show on the CW. However, is very much following its own path. They've talked about how they're not using Naomi season two for the TV show. It's doing its own thing. And a lot of this issue is reviewing what happened in the previous six issues, as well as some issues of justice league with Naomi. But I'll tell you what, we've been pretty down on Brian Michael Bendis's stuff. Even if this has a lot of his writing ticks, I still like this a lot better than a lot of the stuff that's been coming out from him because I think there his heart is in Naomi and that comes out through the pages. He clearly loves the character and I I I think that's good. Uh, it also feels like he is putting more time or focus in this character because probably because it's the of the TV show but also because I do think he cares about uh the character and wants her to be a major addition to the the DC universe. But he just – and this is – maybe this is a pet peeve. I feel like he comes oh, yes. at Naomi and is sort of being like dropping her in at the top, being like this new character is a member of the Justice League. Uh, Naomi is part of this. It's, uh, she's a household name. And I'm like that feels like only because of his power and position as a comic book creator is he doing that. 
when like a, a no more normal path for a new character would be to like let me establish the world of this character and build build her or him up and then like see if that character is like plucked to like rises in popularity or whatever and so is that a pet peeve of mine or is that something that resonates with you guys uh, it just seems like something that sure is happening and uh you know you're kind of like well I don't know, but it seems like it's bothering you more than most people. I think it it bothers me less when I'm reading this because a lot of it is recentering Naomi on her family, her friends, reestablishing those relationships there, showing her away from the Justice League and not as related yeah. to them. So I totally get what you're saying, but I, I think it works for me here where it doesn't necessarily work in justice league. The other thing that I'll give a shout out to is Jamal Campbell's art, which we loved on far sector. It's so good here as well. So Uh, it's great to see. Yes. Yeah. I, uh, yeah, I really love the art on this story. Um, and I also agree with Naomi D the character is really awesome and very interesting and I'm hoping to get more. Um, I, yeah, I really liked how this kind of like unfolded here in this issue and we got to see kind of like the parents fighting and, you know, parents are the worst, you know, mm. I know before I was shitting on can... kids, but man, parents probably, they, yeah, I always say parents just don't understand. Why don't uh, we move on and talk wow. about reviewing it? Well, let me just add rough. Add one more thing. Um, I, cause I do like the character and I like, um, sort of the way she is and the way that she reacts to the, to being a superhero. It's Mm -hmm. just the, I just feel so much Bendis on it that the writer is in the way of the story for me. Oh, interesting. Radiant red. Number one from image comics written by Cherish Chen art by David LaFuente. This is a book. That we talked about on the live show a couple of weeks back. We had sure Cherish did. Chen on, so you can take a listen back to that to find out what she had to say about the book. But this is a spinoff of Radiant Black following the Radiant character who is also kind of a criminal in her spare time as she is figuring out her life and ending up on her own solo adventures. We definitely plus this up on the live show when Cherish was on. But now that it's officially out, I figured it was worth revisiting. Yeah. I think this is great. I love this as a spinoff. How about you guys? Completely agreed. Amazing art. This is such a cool exploration exploration of uh, the red kind of character. I think this this really feels like a part of the main title and a part of everything that's going on. I love it. Um, in comparison to what we were talking about earlier with the trial of the Amazons, like this feels like with the the Radiant universe, they really are taking that time to let the individual titles and characters breathe a bit before they're um, sort of smashing them all together, which I think is great. And um, the David LaFuente art on this is just sick. What a great artist to have on for your uh, basically second book uh, ever. And I'll also mention, if you haven't read Radiant Black, though, clearly we've talked about that book uh, quite a lot here on the Stack Podcast, you can still jump into Radiant Red and you don't really need to know anything. Cherish gives you all the information you need to know on this book to get right in here. So great, great stuff. And if you like this, then you can jump back and read Radiant Black as well, which is also really good in a very different way. Next up, Spider-Gwen, Gwenverse, number one from Marvel, written by Tim Seeley, art by Jody Nish. 
Mishima. This is a book that Tim very briefly talked about when he was on the live show a couple of weeks back, but this is Finding Spider-Gwen, ending up in a situation where there are new variants of Gwen popping up throughout her universe, and she needs to figure out a way to fix it. Justin, you really like this book, right? What... What spoke to you about it? Oh, wow. Um, I really like Spider-Gwen as a character. I feel like, and I think I just thought of this um, reading this this week's books. Reminds me a lot of uh, Stephanie Brown, spoiler, over in the DC universe. And I feel like they have uh, very similar energies of characters that are like, I don't quite know my place in the world. I'm trying really hard. Um, I talk a lot about how, you know, we are always rebooting Spider-Man or finding new ways to get uh, to do Spider-Man. This is like, feels like a fresh character. And like, I just love the idea of new characters that we let be a part of the uh, the universe. And I know that might seem hypocritical when we're just dealing with like a Spider-Verse for Gwen, but um, it works. I think the new versions will allow us to really comment on the original that we're uh, seeing again here in the book. Yeah, I think it's unbelievable art, uh, really fun writing, a lot of great character moments. Um, Yeah, I think, you know, Tim Seeley does a good job of balancing action, humor, and kind of like the importance of relationships and stuff like that in a a way that's like fits comic books really well. Uh, You get a lot of characters in here. A lot happens in this book. There's a ton of stuff that gets jammed in here, but yet it feels good. It doesn't feel rushed or anything like that. Um, Yeah, I just think this is a solid book. Tim Seeley is a meticulous writer. He really does the work. And when we talked to him on the live show, you could tell he's just like up at night thinking about these characters. And it's just great to see in, in a writer. Yeah, I mean, I hope he gets some sleep and, you know, is doing it. No, he doesn't. He hasn't slept in five years at this point. Oh, man, the poor guy. It's nuts. Great title. The Joker, number 13 from DC Comics, written by James Tide of the Fourth, Sam Johns, art by Giuseppe Cavancoli and Belen Ortega. In this issue, the penultimate issue of The Joker, (laughs) Vengeance is coming directly for a cannibal cult who is holding the Joker hostage. She, Vengeance, the daughter of Bane or the clone of Bane, wants to kill the Joker herself. There's a twist there at the end that leads us to the endgame here. This title is great and gross and uh, there's several paddles throughout here that I just thought were exemplary in terms of being absolutely disgusting and over the top. I know I said this at the beginning of this title, but like it's definitely padding out by the end. This is the Hannibal of DC Comics and I love it. Mm, ooh, nice. I, uh, uh, I, I think that this Joker book has done such an amazing job of exploring Batman characters in such a cool, interesting way. I've been really impressed with the creativity behind this. This is just great stuff. I'm loving this Lady Bane stuff. The just kind of this evil, creepy family exploration. Uh, art's unbelievable. The backup story with Punchline is very interesting and kind of like such a kind of new villain in DC that seems like I don't know if it's going to be around or not, but uh, I'm enjoying the exploration of this character. So, yeah, this is a great package. Dude, wow. Uh, Do you want to see a story about the Joker that's called Commissioner Gordon and Friends? (laughs) 
Yeah, at this I point. Do. Yeah, I do. this is it's the first sort of issue that really centered the Joker in any yeah. particular way, which was very funny. Well, yeah, I know, well, and you Pan barely ultimate. see. You so Pan might as well get it in, you know. You barely yeah. see Commissioner Gordon, except for on the end with the to be concluded. He's just like chilling with a pipe in the background. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's fun. I mean, I've talked about this a little bit. I've fallen out of love with Commissioner Gordon as a character. You're a and, piece of shit, and as well. The movie The Batman only is making my case for me. No. Nope. So, what are you talking about? Why are you doing that, man? Don't come at Jeffrey Wright. That guy's fucking money. <laughs> dude, come on, dude. Hey, you're don't mess with people, Batman? man. What? <laughs> hey man, you're a cop who dresses weird. I'll tell you what, what this is You're not a absolutely nothing, but we taped this whole podcast talking about the Batman, and you really went in on it, Justin, and I think yeah. it only makes me love it more. <laughs> Are you serious? What? That's the opposite of the effect I'm going I for. know, but I don't know. You insulting it, it's just so goofy and ridiculous. I enjoy it so much. I mean, and let me say, like, having seen it on a second viewing, I may feel more of what you're feeling. But watching this movie that has the very self-serious Batman struggling and then a Commissioner Gordon who's like, hey, man, you want to get out of here and grab a beer? <laughs> He's Dude, like, that's what you so need. You, you need somebody who's like, yo, Gotham is crazy. Let's fucking go talk about this over a beer, bro. A hundred percent, but it just caught me way off guard of the movie, and I don't want to. I'm not. So we're not spoiling any of the Batman, but man, he just the energy he brings is so weird. Anyway, great. I do like this book. I like that it's not. It felt like we were just in a sort of similar pattern with Gordon being like, "I gotta get this Joker, and I'm mad about it. Somebody help me." And this, like, we are allowing the point of view to shift a little bit. I think is is making this book really come together in a good way. Absolutely. And you get to see a lot of human beings being eaten, which is always fun. Next up, New Masters, number two from Image Comics, written by Shobo Coker, art by Shaf Coker. This book, we talked about the first issue of it, is absolutely wild. To be bluntly honest, I can barely follow the plot here, uh, what's going on. It's this future world set in Africa where people are going on a treasure hunt. Um, But... I'm just enjoying looking at it more than anything because the world that they're depicting here is so unique and so exciting and so different. It's just awesome on a visual ride, but uh, I'm curious to hear from you guys how it struck you. Yeah, it's kind of... Oh, go ahead. It reminds me a little bit of Firefly, oddly, Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. uh, if that tracks, where it's like the tone is like sort of fun and it throws you into the world before it's fully explained the world. Um, which I always love. Like, even if I'm a little lost at points, I don't mind having to um, stretch a little bit to understand what's happening because the world is so sort of fleshed out and interesting. I was going to say it reminds me a little bit of old school Batman with the bam, piff, pow kind of stuff where you've got some great action panels, some fun kind of art style that kind of really brings you to this different world and sucks you in. Um, yeah, I, I don't know what's going on, but I'm having a great time. Um, this is really fun and unique and, uh, definitely worth checking out. And I love the back matter where they explain just some of how the world works. Yeah, I agree. I wish I had back matter about my life. 
Ah, that'd be great. I don't know why any of this is happening. Next up, Star Wars (laughs) Han Solo and Chewbacca, number one from Marvel, written by Mark Guggenheim, art by David Messina. In this issue, we are finding a Han and Chewbacca who are working for Jabba the Hutt, teaming up for Greedo and heading back to Corellia to run a heist that leads to a surprising return from Han's past. Um, this feels like, and I assume this is the purpose here, but this feels like the lost solo sequel that we never right. got. And I think it's absolutely working on that level. But what do you guys think? I'm a sucker for Han and Chewie stories. So I was all no. in from the what? jump. Um, so yeah, this is just all gravy to me. I love it. I'm eating it up. Uh, uh, slopping it up any which way I can get it. Ugh. This is glorious. What? <laughs> Why are you? Jesus. For a man who doesn't like um, uh, sexual commentary, I'm really... slobbering all over the knob of this book. <laughs> what? Now <laughs> I did not. I should have that. opened. That's the door exactly what Pete just said. I no, 100 percent just no, quoted Pete there. No way, man. Uh, Pete, what do you is where does Chewy rank in your favorite Star Wars characters? Because you talk a lot a big Chewy game. Uh, number one, number, bro. Number one? <laughs> That's right. Wow, that yeah. is Rider too high. Right Wait, there. who's your Chewbacca number one, Mark. Justin? Chewbacca, my right there, bro. Yeah. Uh, no, I see. Uh, I see it every day, Pete. <laughs> I don't, you don't need to point it Chewy. out. I mean, Han. Me and Han's Chewy. number one. Hmm. I'd say Porg number three for me. Uh, yeah, you've always been a big Porg. Wait, Porg, Porg, Porg number head. three is your number one? Yep. <laughs> That is ironic. Anyway, um, I, I thought this book I was like very this, good. I also like this yeah. book. I agree with you, and it's great to see um, just some good Han action. Since, as I said, Han's Pete, we should get along more. Han's my number one. Chewie, they're friends. Yeah, yeah. We, my number one is the Millennium friends. Falcon. You guys can ride around in me. Superman. Great glory shots. <laughs> this show is weird. It was a weird podcast. Superman, son of oh, Cal Out number one. Just me, though. Superman, son of Cal Out number one yes. from DC Comics. Written by Tom Taylor, art by Bruno Redondo. This is the second part of a crossover with Nightwing as we find out a lot more about The Rising, the evil superhero collective being run by Harry Bendix. Pete, you have a question. No, I just want to be first guy talking about this because this is my number one pick. Yeah, go for uh, it. Uh, I just think the the Nightwing fun fight panels stuff alone is worth picking this up. This is such a creative, art-driven, just fun panel. Like, the reveal, uh, you know, spoilers, the, the reveal of, like, Superman in this issue was so cool, so well done. This is just great. I mean, this is just great. I mean, we've got Tom Taylor coming into his own right now with these two books. And to cross them over right now is He's been awesome. the, oh, I don't know what you mean, coming to his own. Dude's on top. Like, what are you talking about? 100%. I'm not saying, it, like, there's been any sort of lag. Do you have any but, issue with saying on top when I believe he lives down under? Oh, interesting. No. Yeah. Okay. Just saying. Uh, but I, saying I, what I, what I'm in Australia can't be on top just because of where they, they live. They live down under. That does it yeah. doesn't matter. They can well, still be the top of their field. They can be the top of the bottom. Oh my god. Did you know uh, their toilets flush backwards? That's <laughs> it's reverse. I, asshole, see, Alex, that, that is that is um northern hemisphere shit. 
right there. That's <laughs> literally, northern yeah. hemisphere. Literally. literally, the fact that you said shit yeah. was ridiculous. Right. They, there's no on. flush wrong, Alex. They flush differently. <laughs> yeah, you're a toiletist. Uh, <laughs> what I was saying, I, all I'm saying is like I feel like Nightwing and uh, and Son of Kal El are just top of the pile DC books right now. And to cross them over in such a way that feels important to both characters is amazing. That's really impressive to do, by the way. 100%. And these two characters, like, you would think that it'd be more um, uh, Son of Kal-El and Damien as the, from the Bat family connecting. Mm -hmm. And we are doing that in some other books. But this connection feels so strong, so good. It's great. it's great, and I wanted to give a shout out to Bruno Redondo, who is a art. We don't god, talk about Bruno, art god on this book. I know you touched on it a little bit, Pete, but this panel of Nightwing falling off the roof yes. as Superman flies up is one of the best panels I have seen in a very long time. Just having Nightwing smiling as he's falling from a skyscraper as Superman flies the other way. It's fantastic. It's so good. And, and also and the like- casual way Superman catches his, his stick and then throws it over his shoulder and says, he doesn't need my saving. It was just, uh, just unbelievable. It's so good. I mean, we talk a lot about comics being all about dynamic paneling and the different way that they come together to create action. This feels like a snapshot, like a moment in time in a way that I think is really hard to achieve in comics. And it's perfect, like you said, Alex. Yeah, it really moves you and in such a cool way. It makes me want to go out and buy the hard copy, copy just so I can kind of like relive that moment again and again. Devil's Reign, number five from Marvel, written by Chip Zdarsky, art by Marco Cicchetto. In this issue, Kingpin finally remembers that Daredevil is Matt Murdock and goes after him specifically. Everything that he's been planning comes to fruition. Guy kind of loses his shit a little bit. He definitely loses his shit. And we get a follow-up on something that we thought was spoiled by Elektra, uh, specifically Daredevil Woman Without Fear, the last issue, where she said, oh, no, Matt Murdock is dead. There is a twist there, which I will not necessarily spoil here. But another great issue of this crossover, this has been one of my favorite big Marvel events in a very long time. I agree. And it's it's hard to have a new take on the Daredevil-Kingpin relationship. Hell yeah. Especially when so much of the material is very similar it's like, does Kingpin know who Daredevil is? Does does Daredevil is Daredevil revealing oh, who himself? Kingpin, like, uh, yeah, yeah. It's stuff that we've dealt with so much over the last like ten years, but this is still new, and it's still finding a way to make that conflict feel deadly for both of them. It it is a huge event uh, that is doing um, really well as far as like leading with story and not being like so worried about tying or all any of that shit. Um, the story is just so well done. Uh, it makes it feel like such an event, and uh, I think that's the way it should be. But the arts bananas, to see the fucking kingpin so unhinged like this, it's scary. It's fucking really scary, and uh, I'm, I'm, I'm really enjoying it. Batgirls, number four from DC Comics, written by Becky Cloonan and Michael W. Conrad, art by Jorge Corona. Another very fun issue of this book, at least I thought, where the Batgirls are going for a bunch of villains at the same time. There's a big reveal at the end here in terms of somebody that I think everybody kind of knew was a villain, but we find out explicitly is. But 
I'm just having a blast reading this book. I think the dynamic between the characters is so good. And Becky Cluden and Michael W. Conrad are absolutely nailing it, along with Jorge Corona's fantastic, very fun art. What about you guys? What did you think? Having spoiler be such a... You can tell that the writers of this book love spoiler as much as your guy, JT, Tug, a.k.a. Tugbo over here does. So it's great to see... The Tug or uh, not. <laughs> I don't know. I like you're taking a nickname I'm uh, forcing in here, and you're really making it your own, Pete. Mm-hmm. Uh, they love the, uh, these characters, and it's nice to see this book um, where it is. Well, all right. First off, we're not talking enough about the art. You want to talk about such a, an amazing art team making meeting characters in such a kind of cool way and taking things about them and heightening it. The way that these characters are drawn in this book is so fun. It really sets this really kind of unique tone in Gotham that you don't get very often. This feels like a kind of indie style inside DC, but still feels like DC. It's really impressive what they're pulling off artistically and it is very unique and cool. This is just a fun story. I love this whole team up. Uh, This is great. Next up, Sabretooth, number two from Marvel, written by Victor Laval, art by Leonard Kirk. At the end of the first issue of this book, we found Sabretooth, who has been banished to the bottom of Krakoa, became essentially the Satan of mutant hell, and five additional mutants were set down to also be in this prison, not realizing that he had created sort of a mind palace of his own. That's where we pick up this issue, and there's a bunch of twists here that, spoiler, but ultimately lead to Sabretooth in a new place by the end of this issue. I got to admit, I was surprised because I love the idea of Sabretooth being mutant Satan so much. I wanted to see more of that, even though I appreciated the characterization of this issue. And I'm still curious to check out issue number three. Uh, Yeah, I feel like after the first issue, I was like, this is amazing. This is so cool. And the second issue, I'm like, wait, what's going on? Because it seems <laughs> like he was that uh, leader of hell. And that was a fun, interesting choice. Like he's running the pit. Cool. First guy down gets to make the rules. I understand that. But now it's like, are they all in this vine and they're all just kind of plant people now. Um, and so I got to tell you, this is a crazy thing to say because I don't think we like this very much on the podcast, but I feel like this book could have benefited from a little more decompression, like aiming for a six issue arc that just had Sabretooth ruling over mutant hell torturing these five characters before at, and here I'll get to the spoiler at issue six, um, what we find out here is, yeah, they're just underneath Krakoa. Krakoa's vines are manipulating their memories. There's no hell. There's none of this stuff. This is just what they're connected. And they're ultimately going to figure out a way to try to break out and bring the fight to Professor Xavier and Magneto, which is interesting in its own way. But at the same time, this initial concept was so cool and so much fun. I wish we could have lived in it a little while longer. Yeah, it feels like it's moving so fast, which I think from what we've talked about with the X-Men universe in general, which is is ironic in that the X-Men universe feels like it was moving fast. They were like, let's just slow down and chill here a little bit on this island. Um, So, uh, yeah, I agree with you. And now, Pete, I want to ask you, how do you feel Sabretooth 
is he filling a Wolverine gap that you may be having in your life? Well, I, I just think that like, you know, you know, a lot of people are having fun in the X-Men books right now and that's cool for them. Uh, but I was hoping to have a little place where I could live, you know, in the saber tooth hell world. If that's all I got, that's what I'll take. But, you know, it turns out they're going to take that away from me, too. So I really don't have a Wolverine safe spot anymore. Well, I will say, I mean, this is not something we're talking about on the stack right now, but the X lives and X deaths of Wolverine has been awesome so far. Really enjoying that. Maybe we'll check back in with that next week. Yeah, maybe we could get in the stack then if it's so fucking great. <laughs> okay. Wow. Please. Detective Comics number 1056 from DC Comics, written by Mariko Tamaki, Matthew Rosenberg, art by Marke Nahulpin, and Fernando Blanco. In the front story, we're continuing our Die Hard in Arkham Tower as everything is falling apart and the Bat Team goes on the offensive here. On the back story, our kid is no oh. longer a kid anymore. Oh, he has man. a beard now. He got to grow up. He is in No Man's Land and he is gathering a gang of his own. As usual, this title is killer every single week, and I love that we're getting it every single week. But, I mean, yeah, the fact that it's coming out weekly, they must be really just writing and drawing so quickly. Because it's in real time, right? That's what I'm assuming. Yeah. As they say, it's a terrible strain on the animator's wrists. Anyways. You feel like this is a documentary that's just happening right now somewhere? Well, that's wild. Uh, anyways, I agree. This is an amazing book. We're getting uh, two really interesting stories at the same time, which is really unbelievable. The fact that they're cranking this out every week. Um, can't say enough about the art and the storytelling. And, you know, Batman's been gone for a while, but man, that guy knows when to show up. Wow. What a save. And then, um, you know, then he shows up also in the backup story to lecture some kids. You know, it's important, kids. When you're out in the streets, you got to go by Batman this. rules. We talked about this last issue. I am so excited to see where this kid ends up at the end of Matthew yeah. Rosenberg and Fernando Blanco's story. It's just really interesting. Next up, let's talk about a last issue, Buffy the Last Vampire Slayer, number four, from Boom Studios, written by Casey Gilley, art by Joe Jarrow. This is finishing up our story of a future Buffy who is old, she is broken, she is trying to fight for Willow and Tara's This daughter. is the last one? This is the last yeah. one. Oh. And but, I gotta say, I was a little critical of this early on. I really liked this last issue, and I wanted this to be a starting point for more mm -hmm. to come. I feel like this really was uh, what sort of the promise was from the first issue. I, I, you know, I don't know about all that, but I definitely really enjoyed this issue. I thought it was such an, uh, uh, a great kind of Buffy story. Uh, she's old but still whooping ass. I mean, that's just in my wheelhouse right that's there. That's your dream. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, I just had a little hope at the end. Uh, this is this is a great story. I'm sad to see it go. Um, yeah, I mean, it did get a little... Uh, uh, I don't know, it started strong or whatever, but uh, really landed the ending and uh, unbelievable art. Uh, I really dug this. I think this is one of the best Buffy stories that I've read in a really long time, at least since Boom Studios yeah. has taken it over. If you didn't check it out, I think this is a great one to catch up on in trade. And like you guys are saying, I think there's room for more stories in this future world that they leave here at the end. And I hope that they have 
a Buffy the Last Vampire Slayer too, because I think it's worth it. Next up, another final issue, Superman versus Lobo, number three from DC Comics, written by Tim Silly and Sarah Beatty, art by Mirka Andalfu. This is tying up the story of Superman versus Lobo versus a big space bug type thing. I'm forgetting exactly what it's called and a bunch of other things going on. I'll tell you what, it was very helpful to talk to him and find out that this was supposed to be two issues per issue because that made a lot more sense when I was reading it this time. Uh, But overall, I think this is a very fun series. How about you guys? Yeah, I thought this was really fun. Uh, Cool story. I mean, Lobo was a little too much of a dick for me at at times, but this was just kind of classic team-up fun of, like, fighting and then getting along and then twists and turns. I I, I enjoyed this very much. Uh, Tim Seeley guy is a writer, man. I tell you what, writing the shit out of stuff. Yeah, Tim and Sarah together, um, I think they're a great combo. I hope to see more from them. Um, it's fun to see the Wildcats pop up here. Oh, yeah. Uh, maybe want to go back and read some of that old stuff. And what I think is so great about this series in particular is the combination of the big, um, and Pete, tell me if I'm using this word co- correctly, frag em up moments. Yeah, you got to frag correct? it up, dude. Yeah, you, you got to frag fr- it up a little bit. You know what I mean? Uh, those big moments. Oh, with, frag. See? Um, with It'd be sort of a useful word for you on this podcast and in your life. You're fragging right, uh, it would be. And the character moments, there's this scene where uh, Superman's like, I don't hate you, I feel sorry for you. Mm-hmm. Um, like, all that's, that, that stuff is a great combination that, that these guys put together. Pretty cold and nice thing to say, though. Last but not least, let's get to our request from Drew Johnson on iTunes Oblivion Song, Volume DJ. 1 from Image Comics, written by Robert Kirkman, art by Lorenzo DeFelici. In this title, if you've never read it, the idea is that a little bit of Philly, and I'm curious to hear from Pete about this, is taken yeah. to some sort of weird alien world that is super deadly. Ten years later, one guy is still trying to find people in the world, specifically his brother, and reconnect with him and take him back home. However, at the same time, the government has moved on. They have, and um, I don't know if this is relatable to anybody, but like, there's a big world type crisis and the government's like, let's just put it past us. Let's just ignore it. Let's move on. Let's go on to something else. It's fine. Mm. If we ignore it, it'll just kind of go away and nobody will die anymore or anything like that. I don't know if that's relatable to anybody. Holy shit. But anyway, political guy, John, grinding your teeth. That's what's going on in this book. What'd you guys think about this one? (laughs) Are you all right, dude? Do you uh, want to go? No, I'm fine. I, I mean, I'll tell you just like a little bit of context here. I realized reading this, and thank you, Drew, for recommending it. I think I only ever read the first issue of this and never read beyond it. So Weird. it was nice reading the whole arc. But Justin, you were about to say something. Uh, yeah, I I like this book a lot. I think I read at least a couple of the first issues um, or maybe the first arc before um, and I really like it. I think this book feels like it's so much more spare than a lot of Kirkman's other stuff. We get to just see a lot of the action play out. The art is really good. Um, and I think the the story, it reminds me, I don't know, it reminds me a little bit of Fear Agent, mm-hmm. um, the Rick Remender book from back in the day, because it's just like 
one dude doing something that everyone's mad at him about all the time and uh, him against the world. So I thought that was cool. And I guess I'll turn it over to our hometown Philly, uh, Pete LePage. To, uh, hometown Philly, back again. Um, so I, I first off, the art's really unbelievable. I love the, how this story kind of moves through the action, but also like sits in these quiet moments in this other kind of dimension. And they talk about the sound in an interesting way. Um, yeah. I, I, I'm really impressed with this book. I'm glad that we're going back and kind of looking at it as a whole because, man, this thing is really impressive. Um, I'm sorry it kind of triggered you a little bit, uh, Zalbs, um, but it's understandable. Um, I just think that, like, the the way that they kind of did the brothers was an interesting thing, um, and it kind of really helped me understand the motivation of why this guy's not going to give up, like a chance to see your brother again. You know, I can only understand. Like, I mean, if we well, we only got one of the Tyler brothers, you know what I mean, and the other one was stuck yeah. in another dimension. Like, what I would be willing to do to get that other Tyler back, you know what I mean? So, just like, uh, it's such a great in where a lot of people can relate. But I just uh, the the full page spread the you know we see a lot of crazy monster worlds, but this is done in a unique, cool way. This story moves, it kicks ass. It's different in different ways. Like to see this guy struggling with like a day job kind of mentality, even though he's like literally pulling people out of a monster world. You know what I mean? And then other people who are like. Like his brother who like fucked up in real life horribly, then gets a second chance to live kind of like a caveman life where like, hey, we go beat up some dinosaurs, then cook them up and that's a good time for us. Like it's yeah. an interesting idea. And yeah, his brother is yabba dabba doing it. Yeah, he really is. He's living that <laughs> Flintstone dream life. And he was like, dude, fuck the real world. Fuck money. I had a hard time with that. Like it's it's interesting um, of this thing of like, I don't want to go back to the real world. I want to live here. Other people are like, oh, thank God. Like I was almost eaten by a monster. So, yeah. and, and then seeing people kind of like deal with being back in the real world and what it's like. Uh, I, I think it's such a kind of, there's a lot of parallels to what's going on, uh, whether it's like people coming back from war or different things going on. But man, uh, such a unique, cool book. Uh, unbelievable art. I think I've said that a number of times, but uh, a just lo- a lot happy to go di- back and revisit it. A lot of different animals just shrugging their shoulders and saying it's a living. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah. I, I really like the, uh, the stuff that you're talking about, Pete. I really enjoyed that quite a bit. I thought all of the aspects of PTSD and folks coming back from this alien planet were really well done. The stuff that didn't work for me quite as well was all of the mystery aspects of the book, which there's a reveal that happens in the sixth issue at the end of the book where I was like, yeah, we know, we know this right. is what's going on. We knew this from the beginning. Just yeah, the get premise is there. Like we don't right. need all the. And there's a lot of characters being like one character. One of my just pet peeves with TV shows and movies and every comic books as well, where a character is like, I got to tell you a piece of information. And people are like, don't tell me now. Tell me later. We have something else to do. <laughs> And there, if you took five seconds and expressed this piece of information, you would get past whatever problems you're having, and it just doesn't happen. So there's just this central thing of, like, 
there's a central misunderstanding of he goes to the other world and everybody's like, yo, you're stealing people from our bug world that we hate <laughs> yeah. being in. And he's like, no, I'm taking you back to Earth. And they're like, we don't want to talk about that. Felt very weird and forced to me the entire time versus the things where, like, he's taking people who have been rescued from that world, who were traumatized from it. That feels very real and very grounded and very emotional. Yeah, but if you have a team of three that's got to go out at night and fucking hunt monsters, if somebody shows up and takes one of your guys or one of your people, you're like, fuck you, dude. You know what I mean? Like, we're... We got. We need people to survive. Like I, I don't know. It's and there is a yeah, twist like, there that's revealed at the end, mind you. But yeah. he's the guy who drives the car with his feet. We can't lose him. Mm-hmm. I don't know exactly what you're oh, talking Flintstones. about. But right, Flintstones. Flintstones. Oh, Flintstones. Okay. Flintstones. All right. There. Yeah. Yeah. Well, if you want to request a title for us to review, hit us up in the iTunes comments with a review and a comment there, and we will review anything original graphic novel, something that we reviewed before, a trade that we haven't revisited in a while. Next week, we're going to be doing a request, as we mentioned, which is Bendis and Believe's Daredevil, so very excited to talk about that. And if you would like to support our podcast, patreon.com slash comic book club. Also, we do a live show every Tuesday night at 7 p.m. to Crowdcast on YouTube. Come back out. We love chat with you about comic books iTunes, Android, Spotify, Stitcher or the app of your choice to subscribe, listen and follow the show at Comic Book Live on Twitter ComicBookClubLive.com for this podcast and many more. Until next time we'll see you at the Comic Book Shop That blows your mind with that comic sense.